One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, uh, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of uh, the one was Bazaz, and the name of the other was Sene. The one crag uh, rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the, si- on the, on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan uh, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, uh, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and we will uh, not go up to them. But if they uh, say, come up to us, then we, will, uh, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan, his armor bearer, and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to the armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a furlough's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Uh, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people uh, who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow. And there was very great confusion Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim and heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle passed beyond beth Aven. The grass withers And the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. 
Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that these words from 1 Samuel would lead us to Jesus, our, our Savior, our Lord, the one in whom our hearts trust and the, the King who we follow with our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our topic today is courage. And we are looking at a story about Jonathan. Jonathan was the king's son in, uh, in Israel. And in this story, he goes on a, a small military operation against the Philistines with just him and his, uh, his armor bearer. And as the story, goes, the story of 1 Samuel goes on, we're going to find out that Jonathan is one of the most beloved characters in this book. And the reason that the other characters in the story love him and the reason that we love him when we read the story is, is really because Jonathan is a man of courage. And courage is an interesting virtue. Uh, G.K. Chesterton has defined courage as one of the paradoxes of Christianity. And this is, is, he says there's a contradiction in courage, and he defines it this way. Courage means a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. Courage is a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. It's like a contradiction. And it's clear that that comes through with Jonathan in this passage, is a strong love for life, a joy in life, and, and an energy in life combined with a readiness to die. And it raises a question for us, though, you know, how do we relate to a passage like this? You probably don't have a plan to, you know, go on a military operation against the neighboring Philistines uh, this week. So how does this relate to us? And I think that a lot of life requires courage. If you're serving God, if you're going to have a challenging conversation with someone, if you're going to take on a new line of work, uh, these may not be life-threatening, fearful things, but if you're going to learn courage for bigger life-threatening things that may come, you've got to start with courage in the smaller things that God brings into our life. And I think a big part of the Christian life is courage to follow him and to trust him. And so today we're going to make a few observations about courage. I want to point out four of them from this passage. And this is what they are. Is that first, courage assumes that we are weak. Second, courage relies on friendship. Third, courage is rooted in faith. And fourth, courage happens through Christ. So courage assumes that we're weak. It relies on faith. It's rooted in, uh, it relies on friendship, it's rooted in faith, and courage happens through Christ. And I hope this passage is an encouragement uh, to strengthen you as God's people this morning. So, four points this morning on courage. The first is this. Courage assumes that we are weak. Courage assumes that we are weak. Courage feels and knows and experiences our own weakness. And I think, and the reason I think it's important to start with that is I, I think often people think that courage means that you are fearless. And you say, you know, there's some people that can just throw themselves into difficult uh, situations and they don't have anxiety and they don't have fears. And so they just feel confident and self-assured and so they can just go into these hard situations and do them. And I don't really feel like that. I don't feel that strength and confidence. So that's why I can't be courageous like them. I don't think that's generally true. And the depiction of Israel compared to the Philistines in this passage is that they are small and they're weak. Actually, in the, the chapter we looked at last week, it, we found out that the Philistine army 
was much larger than the Israelite army. They were far outnumbered. And you see how this passage begins in verse 2. How it says, Saul, was, Saul, who's the king of Israel, was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah. Gibeah was the, his capital city where he lived. In the pomegranate cave. And, you know, that just says under the pomegranate. So it might be the pomegranate field or under the pomegranate tree. At Migron. The people who were... Uh, with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, uh, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. So here's Saul, who's the king. He's in his capital city, and he's with basically his cabinet, the leaders. You know, he's got the priest is there with him, and they're kind of making a plan of what they're going to do. And yet, uh, they're meeting in a pomegranate field. And so it tells you this kingdom is pretty weak and small, right? They don't even have like a great hall where the king meets with his leaders. They're out under a tree meeting outside. And so it's in the context of weakness that Jonathan does his act of courage. Now that, of course, makes sense that courage assumes that you're weak. You know, you think about if a grown man got into a fight with a five-year-old boy, would that require courage? No, because the grown man knows he's strong and he can take the five-year-old boy. He has no worries about that. That doesn't require courage. Of course, courage means that you know that there's risk involved. You're not 100% confident in your skills, in your abilities, in your strength. Courage assumes that we're weak. And that is important information. You might think that in order to do something that requires courage, you're going to have to feel totally confident in doing it. But then that wouldn't be courage. Courage assumes that we are woundable. Courage assumes that we're woundable. I mean, you take even a, you know, the toughest Navy SEAL that you know. His, it doesn't matter how strong he is. His body is still flesh and blood. You know, we don't have exoskeletons. You know, his body is soft compared to bullets and shrapnel. His body, humans are woundable. And, uh, and in this passage, Jonathan is going to make a plan to attack a garrison of Philistines, and he's going to do it with just one other guy. Now, that may not be the kind of situation that you find yourself in, but um, we as a culture are struggling deeply with anxiety. And I say that as, as someone who's uh, struggled with my own anxiety, sometimes debilitating anxiety. I meet with a counselor to talk about my anxiety. And if you are someone who struggles with anxiety, I, I feel a lot of compassion for you. Anxiety is a serious form of suffering. Actually, the Apostle Paul later in, uh, uh, later in the Bible, he has a list where he talks about all of his sufferings as an apostle. And he talks about, I was stoned and I was beaten and I was shipwrecked. And you get through this long list of sufferings. You know what the last, the capstone of all his sufferings is? The anxiety he feels for the churches. It's the inner turmoil of, of his life as a Christian. It's anxiety. And our culture has a lot of compassion for anxiety. And we should have compassion for that. But it has made us think that if something is triggering anxiety in us, then we, need to, we automatically need to take that thing out of our lives. And of course, that could be true. There could be unhealthy things that are causing anxiety that should be cut out of our lives. But it could also not be true. Because it's also true that anxiety means that much of my life is going to require courage. Courage is, in the midst of anxiety and weakness and fear, still doing the right thing. 
And I think uh, there are things that can help anxiety be not so debilitating. That's why I talk to a counselor about my anxiety. But also much of growth in the Christian life, I do think, is a tolerance for the suffering of anxiety that is a part of life in this fallen world. And so first, courage assumes weakness. And you might think that courage and weakness or courage and anxiety and courage and fear are opposites, but actually courage assumes all of those things. And if I could just make you know, one more comment about anxiety. One severe form of anxiety maybe some of you have, faced with, have struggled with is, is uh, OCD. And, uh, and if you have had severe behaviors with OCD where you've requ- what, that's required treatment, one of the things that you will have found out is that, that the answer to OCD, it doesn't matter who you talk to. You cannot rationalize to someone. If you have severe anxiety, that you can't just explain to them, hey, everything's going to be okay. You're being unreasonable. These obsessions are unreasonable. That won't work. The only possible way to treat, to treat it is to be forced into the situations that are causing the anxiety and to do them. And it's often ruthless. But I'll tell you, that's a big part of our life. Some of you might say, you know, coming to church causes me anxiety. You know, there's all these people here. I have to think about God. I have to think about my sin. I have to think about the ultimate things in my life. you got to do it. you got to force yourself to be there. Or saying, you know, being honest with someone in a relationship that I need to have a conversation with caused me a lot of anxiety. Those are the kinds of things I need to have that conversation but I'll tell you what's interesting. If you go to a treatment center for OCD, even though they're going to be ruthless, say you have to do the thing you don't want to do, they also pair that with a tremendous amount of support and love. And every hard thing that you have to do, there's going to be someone there to cheer you on and say, you're doing the right thing. We're behind you. We love you. We support you. We know this is hard. And so it's actually the pairing of those two things that leads to our second point, that not only that uh, courage assumes that we're weak, but second, courage relies on friendship. Courage relies on friendship and relationship. And now one of the things about this passage is that Jonathan makes a plan to attack this Philistine garrison, and he doesn't tell his father the king. And likely the reason he doesn't tell the king is a very risky mission, and Saul doesn't really have the courage that his son Jonathan does. But Jonathan takes his armor bearer on the road to Michmash. Michmash is where the Philistine army is. And it says in in verse 4, Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. So there's this road with big rock walls on either side. And above these rock walls, there's this outpost of the Philistines, this garrison. So they have this kind of strategic position from a a higher, higher position. And uh, you see, it says there in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. So he says, let's, you and me, we're going to go attack this outpost. Even though it's got a higher position, even though there's more of, more of them than we have, we're going to go attack them. And it's then that you get a hint of the friendship of these two men. Right there in verse 7. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. It's a beautiful line. Here are these two warriors that are preparing for this courageous mission, and yet there's this tenderheartedness between them. You know, there's an emotional bond that's happening. And, uh, And courage 
is not counter to being soft-hearted or being relational. You know, you might think, oh, being emotional or being relational, that's very feminine, and being courageous means being hard. You know, the lone ranger, the independent man who doesn't need anyone's help, and I just march into scary things by myself. That's not the picture in this passage. Courage grows strongest in the soil of friendship. And we'll find out later that Jonathan, he has a real gift for friendship. And he is able to bond with other men on a very deep level. And, you know, his armor bearer here just loves him and is devoted to him. And then later, he's going to become King David's best friend. And they're going to have all these battles they go in together. And there's these expressions of love and loyalty that they have, have for one another. We'll get to that later in 1 Samuel. So courage relies on friendship. You and I are able to do the right thing, even when it is hard, when we have friends with us. But I'll tell you, it's not only that courage needs friendship. Courage also creates friendship. It builds friendship. The experiences of doing these things build friendship. When you, when you do something that's risky with someone, it bonds you to them. And, you know, of course, that's why in battle there's such deep bonds that soldiers have with one another when they go into combat and then they come back to the, you know, the normal life and they're like, I can't find any kind of connection in depth of community like I had with my brothers that I went in, into war with or went into battle with or took risks with. And I'll tell you, if I could give one piece of advice about friendship, you need to do things with people. When there's an opportunity to do things with people, you have to not say, well, I've got other things going on or I'm not really sure I can do that right now. There's something impractical about friendship that it never really quite fits in. And you say, even though this is important, I need to show up for it. And Jonathan and his armor bearer are tight because they've probably done missions like this that are impractical many times before. And I guarantee you that they were even closer after this mission for sure. When people invite you to do something with them, it needs to register in your mind experiences together create friendship. And I'll tell you, in a smaller way, there's all kinds of things that happen in a church like this where there's opportunities where I can say, I could do something with people. I mean, you know, we have D groups, discipleship groups, and home groups starting up. Those kinds of things. I don't know if I have time for that. I don't know if I want to fit that in. It might seem impractical showing up or serving in some ways. Or, you know, just this weekend, there's a group of men who went out to Susha Island to have this, this solitude. And you might say, oh, that's not practical for me to go, go away. Those are times where you have to say, I got to show up to those things. If I want friends in my life, I've got to be there. If you show up for these things and say, I'm willing to go, you're going to have more friends in your life. And this armor bearer said to Jonathan, I'm with you. I'll be with you. Okay? So a couple of things about courage that might seem counterintuitive. Okay? The first is courage assumes weakness. If you felt strong and confident, it wouldn't require courage. It wouldn't be courage if you felt strong and confident. And, and second, courage needs friendship. It's not a hard, independent, lone ranger quality. Often, courage is tenderhearted and relational. But there is a, a deeper relationship at the heart of courage than just the relationship with our friends. And that's the third point, is that courage is rooted in faith. Courage is rooted in our faith in God. Being a person of faith cultivates courage in us. And, and you'll notice this because, you know, God often works through weakness. That's how you see God work. You know, when the, against all odds, that's when God in the Bible likes to work. And you notice there in the second part of verse 6, Jonathan says, 
It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord's saving by many or by few. Faith says the Lord can save even with a few people. And that's why Jonathan goes on in verse 8 and he says, Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and we will uh, uh, stand, uh, we will will cross over to the men uh, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand uh, still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. So basically what's happening here is Jonathan's saying, all right, the Philistines have this high position up on this craggy hill and we're going to come out. We're going to say, hey, here we are. And there's going to be two options. Either they're going to come out of their high position and come down to them, and there's going to be a little uh, skirmish, which would probably be a better situation for Jonathan and his armor bearer to draw them out of their strong position. Or they're going to say, why don't you come up to us and fight us? And he says, if they ask us to do that, we know then the Lord is with us and he's given us the victory. And so they've chosen the harder path. Here, courage is deeply tied to a belief in God's supreme sovereignty over all that happens in his world. Jonathan believes the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so why should you not let fear keep you from doing what is right? Is because a good God controls everything that happens in this world. And I heard a one soldier who uh, believed in God's sovereignty and it helped him with courage. And he had this belief. He said, I believe that I'm immortal every day of my life except for the day I die. And he was saying, basically, God has appointed the day that I'm going to die. That day is fixed and immovable. No one can take my life if God has fixed that day. And I can't live past that day if God has fixed that day. So every other day leading up to it, no one can kill me. I'm invincible. Such a profound vision of God's sovereign control. And we are a church that believes deeply in the sovereignty of God over his creation. We believe that God has absolute control over every detail of human history and every detail of our individual lives. And the Westminster Confession puts it this way. It says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Whatever comes to pass in your life has been carefully thought through by God himself before he even made the worlds, every detail of it. And then later, Westminster puts it this way, God, the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his own wise and holy providence. God orchestrates and orders every single thing that happens in our lives and that happens to us. And and he's a good and loving father who does that. And actually, you know, all this theology, it's kind of wordy. Jesus puts it better than anyone. He says, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father. Your father. Even, you know, you think way out in the wilderness of Baker wilderness, some little bird that no one even knows about, when it dies, God's attention is upon it. That's what care, and it, it is, it's even a part of his will and his purposes. And you might think that this is just a bit of theology that Christians debate about. You know, is God sovereign? Is he in control of everything? Or do we have free will? And, you know, how does this paradox work? It is by far the most practical source of courage in the world. 
Each of us has to come to terms in our own hearts that a good and loving Father who cares about me and only wants my good has ordered everything I will experience in this life. And so I will receive what he gives me with faith. Psalm 112 describes the righteous man this way. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. I love that little phrase. Every time I read that psalm, he's not afraid of bad news. I was like, Lord, could that be me? Not be afraid of bad news. Courage is rooted in faith, especially faith in God's sovereignty. Now, I want to make a couple comments about how courage has faith in God's sovereignty. Okay, a couple qualifiers here. Okay, the first is that it doesn't mean that God will always do what we want. When we are confident in God's sovereignty, it doesn't mean we know and he's going to do whatever we ask him. And if you look at that phrase in the second part of verse 6, look at what Jonathan says. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He says it may be that he saves us. He's saying... uh, God, he's not saying that God must do what I want. He's saying God is sovereign and God is free. God can make his own decisions. And sometimes that happens to us. Maybe that's happened to you where you've been at a key moment in your life. And you said, you know what? I'm going to put myself out on a limb. I'm going to trust God and say, God, I'm going to ask you for this thing and I really want it. I'm going to really believe. And then it didn't go the way you wanted. And some of us can turn our hearts, harden our hearts and say, God didn't give me what I asked him. I believed in him. I trusted him. But what are we really saying? That I want to be in control of this story and he has to do what I dictate to him. That is not what God's sovereignty says. God is not obligated to do what Jonathan wants. He is the sovereign Lord and he is good, but he retains the right and freedom to do what he deems right. So first, it doesn't mean that God always does what we want. Second, It doesn't mean that we don't have to trust God, that we have no responsibility in this. What happens in this passage is Jonathan climbs up the wall. You see it there in verse 13 where it says, Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. Um, And so they begin this victory. And all of a sudden, there's this commotion among the Philistines. And they're all confused. And they actually turn against one another. And it starts stirring uh, the Israelites to say, oh, our enemies are all confused. We should go after them in battle. And so you'll notice what happens then in verse 18. It says, so Saul, who's hearing about this, said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Now, I'll tell you what's happening there. So there's, there's all this turmoil. There's an opportunity for victory. And Saul had known, you know, we should go before the Lord before we go into battle. But then he's got this opportunity, and the priest is taking too long. So he cuts the priest off and says, stop with the prayer. Let's just go to battle. And there's a clear difference between the courage of Jonathan that trusts in the sovereignty of God and the courage of Saul that just rushes into battle without the Lord. It's an indication of the character of these two men. And so what we've learned so far about courage is is three things. 
First, courage, courage assumes that we're weak. If you wait until you feel 100% confident, you will never do the right thing. Second, courage relies on friendship. We are able to do difficult things when people are with us, and those friendships are formed through having experiences together. And the third thing is that courage is rooted in faith, particularly in God's sovereignty, which doesn't mean that we always get what we want or that we don't have to trust him. But that leads to our final point, is that courage happens through Christ. Courage happens through Christ. And one of the uh, questions we have to ask in a passage like this, you know, we often ask this as we go through the Old Testament, is who are we in this passage? Who should we connect with and relate to? And so far we've been saying, well, we should be people of courage. And Jonathan was a man of courage, and we should be like Jonathan. And how many of us would say when we read this story, yeah, that's kind of what I'm like, you know? Me and my armor bearer taking on, a, you know, an army of Philistines. We say, no, I've never done anything like that. I'm actually not like that. And so who are we in this passage? Well, I think it's, it's interesting there in verse 21 where it says, Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And what's interesting about this verse is it turns out that a bunch of the Israelites had found out the Philistines have a bigger army, they're stronger than us, and they've left God's people. And they've gone to be a part of the Philistines. And some of you may feel like that's where you are today, where you come here. And you say, you know, maybe I grew up in the church, or maybe I've tried church, or maybe I haven't even been in church before, and I've been disenchanted with it. And, you know, I'm just going to go join the ways of the world and see what else is out there. And what brings a person back who's gone away from the Lord, maybe even worshiped other gods and, and said, I don't even want the Lord in my life? What brings them back? Is it courage? Is that courage that brought these Hebrews back? No, it wasn't. It was Jonathan's courage. It's not their courage. It was Jonathan's courage. And Jonathan went and went, won this battle, and they said, we can rejoin his team. And so the question is, who is our Jonathan? That is the same with all of us. We are prone to wander and to stray like lost sheep. And Jesus is the courageous one who has brought us back in. And we are like either the Israelites who are with Saul and we don't even have the courage to go face the Philistines or we're the Hebrews who said, let's just join the way of the world. And Jesus is the one who is even more courageous than Jonathan, didn't just take on the Philistines. He took on sin, uh, death, and the evil one. He didn't kill his enemies. He was die died for his enemies. He came under the wrath of God, trusting God. And he has, he has drawn us in with his courage. And because we feel our weakness and our fear, we, like this armor bearer, have bound our hearts to Jesus because he is the man of courage. He's the man of friendship and of a tender heart. Jesus is the one who had faith in God's sovereignty and, God, and, and get, uh, that gave him courage to even go to the cross trusting that God's purposes were good. What all that says is that though we have courage and weakness and in friendship and in faith, ultimately Jesus is our courageous one. He was courageous for us when we weren't. And in him, we get to join in his courage as he shares his victory with us. And at the end of our lives, the story of our whole life 
will not be that my courage saved me, that my life was a life of courage. My, our lives will end the way this passage ends. Verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day. It wasn't my courage, it was my Savior's courage that saved me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to Jesus. Courage belongs to Jesus. And so ultimately, our courage is in him. Let's pray together.